Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to John. We're looking at John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18, and verses 25 through 27. So skipping over a little chunk there. Normally don't do that, but it's just to save on time. Um, So I invite you to turn out there with me in your own text this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the advocate... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Let us pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, you are welcomed here. Come flood this place. We welcome you with praise. Be welcomed in this place. Spirit of the living God, move in and through us in this time that we might have the very word of your spirit inscribed upon our hearts, transforming us, moving us, inspiring our very own spirits to go out into the world see a world transformed by this great love. In this time, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts on your words be good and pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our strength and redeemer. Amen. In uh, Christian liturgy, you might have noticed this, we have this curious expression, especially at the end of blessings. We say three names in a row. We say, in the name of the Father and of the Son, and? Holy and of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Now, who is that? It's, an, it's a curious member of what we call the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit, but we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit. It's, it's something that we kind of have lost in the church. And we could really dive into some Trinitarian theology here, some deep exploration of the Godhead three in one, but I believe that we have some chili that we need to get to, and so we're just going to talk about the Holy Spirit, this one individual but also communal entity of the Trinity, this one whom even in our very own Apostles' Creed only gets mentioned twice. Once, I believe in Jesus who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and twice, uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And we don't really know anything else than that. Like the, at least our Apostles' Creed gives some depth to the Father and the Son. But the Holy Spirit is kind of left out in a lot, a lot of ways. And this funny thing happened in the United Methodist Church a number of years ago. In which, uh, and if you don't know this about the United Methodist Church's history, you really should come to our Come for Membership class. Um, but if, a number of years ago, our church, the United Methodist Church, has gone through a number of different splits and mergers. Someone will break off, another group will come in, and it's very confusing. But the split happened uh, a number of years ago. The Pentecostal church broke off. 
And they went and did their own thing, and it seems like they kind of took the Holy Spirit with them. I don't know if you've ever worshipped in a Pentecostal church before, but they have the Holy Spirit in a Pentecostal church. I'll tell you that right now. And we in the UMC, the United Methodist Church, we kind of forgot about the Holy Spirit, and we ended up replacing it with John Wesley, the founder of United Methodism. And so we recreated our own trinity, Father, Son, and John Wesley. It's something very odd, but we associate the Holy Spirit with this charismatic tradition. You know, things like people who speak in tongues and get slain in the Spirit. And while we associate our tradition, the United Methodist Church, with more of academia, John Wesley was always very intellectual, but he himself struggled with understanding the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is about so much more than just these charismatic characteristics. The Holy Spirit is our very connection to God. In our text today, Jesus points to four different traits of the Holy Spirit that I want us to consider today. The Holy Spirit as advocate, the Holy Spirit as teacher, the Holy Spirit as peace, and the Holy Spirit as breath. Each of these four characteristics, which are by no means exhaustive, the Holy Spirit cannot be so easily summed up in just a few minutes today, each of these four characteristics give us another reason that we should pay more attention to the Holy Spirit. So first, the Holy Spirit as advocate. The term advocate is an interesting choice for the work of the translators here. This, we start with this in uh, chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. It's an interesting word because other translations of this same passage might say, uh, will give you a helper or a companion, which these work just as well. As well. Uh, the Greek word here, parakletes, uh, simply can be translated as one who walks beside. Um, but the, the word advocate here is extremely significant for our understanding of the text. The Holy Spirit, as our advocate, supports us and connects us to God. That term advocate, it means a person who raises their voice on behalf of others. Think about that, what it means to advocate for someone. If you've ever had to advocate for a friend or somebody whose voice wasn't being heard, you know what it means to, have, to be an advocate. They know what it means to have an advocate. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. Romans uh, 8.26 states, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. Have you ever been at a lost a loss for words to bring up in a prayer. Just didn't really know what can we honestly say here. And I know for some people prayer is uncomfortable enough as it is. And Paul reminds us that the Spirit, as our advocate, as our, as our connection to God, intercedes on our behalf. One of the most powerful connections I uh, ever felt to God in a single moment was while I was in college. I was a uh, freshman. And uh, every Wednesday we had a chapel service that it wasn't mandatory to go to, but we had an optional chapel service. And this particular Wednesday I left my uh, class heading to uh, midday chapel service and the tornado sirens start going off. I think that's not good. Um, you know, that typically means that there's a potential for a tornado going on if you haven't ever heard a tornado siren before. I know you don't get those a lot down here. But, um, we 
the tornado sirens start going off and we start thinking, those of us who are leaders in chapel start thinking, what are we gonna do? And so there were a couple of us who stood um, at the building entrance where we typically held chapel at and said, we're gonna have chapel in the basement. We're still gonna do it, even though, you know, tornadoes and whatnot, that's fine. We're still gonna have chapel. And so we all gathered down into the basement of, uh, of this, uh, what's called Flowers Hall on Huntington College's campus. And it was an unfinished room, but here we packed in. I don't know how many people ended up coming to chapel that day. But we just started playing music. A friend brought their guitar. And we all just started praying. Typically, there was like a little homily during chapel. Not this time. Everybody just started praying. Not really for anything particular, but we just started praying. And praying more fervently and more loudly and, and, and more expressively. And I can't tell you how much time actually passed, even after looking at my watch, whenever we finished praying. All I can tell you is that none of us wanted to move. Because in that moment, as our prayers were being lifted up together in unison, though we might have been praying for different things, our prayers still being left, lifted up in unison, we found this time, this point, when there was no longer a need for human words because human words just get in the way. And it was a moment where we found ourselves wrapped up in the Holy Spirit, simply connected to God and one another as the Holy Spirit was moving in and through and around us. With the Holy Spirit as our advocate, we have an unhindered direct contact line to God. We just need to use it. Imagine one day you look down at your phone Pull out your phone, and you see there, there's a, this number programmed in your phone that wasn't there before, and under the name it says God. Imagine the number for God was programmed into your phone. No matter what faith that person might have, no matter if they believe in a God or not, if they don't contact or call that number, they have to be a fool. Because how many people over the course of history have begged for a direct line to God? We have that number in the Holy Spirit. We just have to call upon it, to use it. For we have much to learn from this Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as our advocate, is our direct contact line to God. But we, in the United Methodist tradition, have neglected that line for far too long. And it's time for a new Pentecost, a time for us to learn even more from the Holy Spirit. Now, the second characteristic that Jesus brings up uh, for the Holy Spirit is that as of teacher. In uh, Back to chapter 14, verse 17, this is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him because he abides in you and he will be in you. And he goes on to say, I have said these things to you while I am with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything. Will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. While Jesus was on earth, get this, he spent three years teaching. Three years, that's, a, that's it. Three years teaching and 30 years learning. 30 years devoting himself to study and education. Even, we even get a glimpse of this whenever Jesus' family finds him in the temple. He says, didn't you know I would be in my father's house learning? 
But it says that he got up with his family and returned to them and continued to learn under them until he was 30 years old and then he finally goes out to start teaching. Something to be said for teachers who understand they need to be taught first. And now we have some record of Jesus' teachings in our holy text and each time Jesus opens his mouth, he speaks this new truth to us that we are called to be transformed by. But yet so often whenever we hear these words like, love your neighbor, we brush them off and think, surely Jesus didn't mean those neighbors. Surely we don't need to love those neighbors that much. Jesus' teachings were more profound than the disciples then and his followers now were prepared to embrace. So later in the same book, John, chapter 16, verses 12 through 13, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. This is John. Many people know that uh, if you've been in Bible study with me that uh, the Gospel of John is my least favorite for a number of reasons. But this is the same uh, writer who describes Jesus as calling out his disciples and saying, are you kidding me? How much longer do I have to be with you? Jesus comes to this understanding of saying, I have a lot more to teach you, but you can't handle it. You simply can't. You haven't even gotten the basics yet. And so Jesus says, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Jesus says, you're not ready yet, but the spirit is going to get you ready. The spirit that comes as teacher is the one who helps us to be transformed by Jesus's teachings, by stirring them in our hearts, by moving us to a place where we can understand it. Have you ever had a brilliant teacher in your life? Somebody who is just so amazing, so profound, that you felt like you were drinking out of a fire hose every time they taught you. I've had a couple of teachers like that in my life. They just, they just start spewing out knowledge. I'm like trying to take notes as quickly as possible, and they keep spewing out knowledge and information. And I'm just like, please, just come and walk with me and keep spewing all this stuff out because I can't take it all right now. It's so much. Then one day you have a, deep, a different teacher. Somebody else comes along, and they end up teaching on the exact same thing, but this time... You have time to swallow it because it comes in a different form. That's how the Holy Spirit teaches. When Jesus began teaching, he began unloading a whole bunch of new ways of living life to his disciples. And they only had three years to begin to grasp it. And they couldn't even get that much because even by the end of Jesus' life, they're still arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? Don't you remember? The greatest among you will be the least. Why have you not gotten this yet? And so he says the Holy Spirit comes as the teacher to remind us of all of these things that Jesus has taught, that they might actually be ingrained in us and transformed in us. It is a teaching that once it clicks, we feel this some odd peace because we can finally understand what Jesus was trying to teach us so long ago. Now, the Holy Spirit's third characteristic that Jesus brings up, but if we don't pay attention, we might miss it. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as peace. At the end of our passage in, uh, verses, um, 20, in verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Now, this is a pretty standard blessing for uh, anybody to give. You know, peace be with you. It's 
go in peace kind of mindset. And, and this wouldn't be so out of place, except it's very out of place if you keep reading through the book of John. Why would Jesus say, peace I leave with you, if he's just going to keep talking? Which he does. He keeps talking for a couple of chapters more. It's like he kind of gives the benediction mid-sermon. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. In other words, it's like saying goodbye to somebody, then you keep walking in the same direction as them for 20 more minutes. It's odd. It doesn't make sense here unless Jesus isn't just giving some blessing. Because if we pay attention, what else is Jesus promising to leave with the disciples in addition to peace? The Holy Spirit. Jesus is making this connection between the Holy Spirit is coming and I am leaving my peace with you. This connection between the Holy Spirit is peace. This peace that Jesus is promising is that which the Holy Spirit produces. We even see this in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 22. Um, and Paul is, is writing here about the fruits of the Spirit. And he says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. I think I forgot one in there. Not sure. But peace as one of the fruits of the Spirit. Now here, I want to point out that the Holy Spirit is not just a New Testament concept. And this is important, okay? It's not like Jesus comes on the scene and that's new because we knew that Jesus was coming all along. But then the Holy Spirit comes on the scene on the day of Pentecost and that was like the first time anybody knew about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been around since the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, when God began creating the heavens and the earth, the Spirit of God was over the waters. Even in the very beginning, we have, that, we have that notion. So the Spirit of God comes up in the Old Testament just as much as the New Testament. In many of the Psalms, it is the Spirit that brings some comfort and peace that transcends understanding from God. In the minor prophets, it is the Spirit that enlivens them to dispense justice and usher in peace. In the major prophets, like Isaiah and Ezekiel, it is the Spirit that inspires wisdom within them so that they are at ease about their teachings. Over and over again, we see the Holy Spirit working in people to grant peace. And then there is the most clear sign when, after Jesus' baptism, the Spirit of God descends upon him in the form of a dove, which is basically the universal symbol for peace, if not the symbol for peace that is just exponentially used throughout Scripture. It is this peace of the Holy Spirit that Jesus blesses us with, which works to sustain all of humanity. And now we get to my favorite part of this notion. The fourth characteristic that Jesus brings about the Holy Spirit. Often, whenever we speak about the Holy Spirit, and you'll even hear me say in some blessings, we call her the sustainer. You'll hear me say, in the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. And we use that word not as a perfect representation of the Holy Spirit, but it is drawn from this final characteristic that Jesus speaks of in this passage. Could you guess what it is, this fourth characteristic? I'll give you a hint. You need to know a little bit of Greek to catch it. Anybody know Greek in here? No, that's all right. <laughs> the word in both Greek which the New Testament is written in, pneuma. The word in Hebrew, which the Old Testament is written in, ruah. And the word in Aramaic, which is the language that, the language that Jesus spoke, ruk. 
all mean breath or life force. Numa, rua, ruk. Each of these words in these three languages all get translated in our holy text as spirit, but most literally they mean breath or life force. This characteristic of the Holy Spirit that Jesus subtly conveys is that of breath, the very breath that is essential to life. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, if you wanted to translate this for our sake, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the spirit, and the man became a living being. To think that our very breath, which sustains our life, believe it or not, you, you, you can't keep going if you're not breathing. It's, it just it doesn't work very well. That very breath which sustains our being, our life, is inextricably linked to the Holy Spirit from the very beginning. That it is the Holy Spirit being passed from God into a lifeless form by which life comes. This is why breath prayers and breathing meditations are so powerful, because we remind ourselves of our life force and feel a connection to the one who gave it to us all. Have you ever had an opportunity to do a breath prayer? It is simply where you breathe in something like, breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, and out, have mercy on us. Something as simple as this, breath prayers focus us on the Holy Spirit. And so right now, I want us to take just a moment just a brief, brief moment, and I want us to breathe in. Can we do that together? Breathe in. And breathe out. And breathe in. And breathe out. And know that with each breath, the Holy Spirit is moving through you to transform you and to sustain you. And thank God that we are allowed to be so intimately close with the giver of life as to share the same breath. John Wesley called this spiritual respiration. Spiritual respiration. A notion that God breathes out the Holy Spirit for us. We breathe in the Holy Spirit to sustain us. We breathe out praises for God and God breathes in this connection to us. And it is reciprocal, connecting us to the divine through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is breath itself. And so I hope that in this week you will take time to stop and breathe. And just be reminded that the Holy Spirit is present with you as advocate, as teacher, as peace, as life. And so my question to challenge us today is will we let the Holy Spirit be our advocate, be our teacher, be our peace, be our very breath? This past week as we were in Washington, D.C., we had the opportunity to meet with Chaplain Barry Black. He's the chaplain for the U.S. Senate. An incredibly profound man, probably one of the most intelligent people I've ever come across. Just while sitting with him, he started spewing out recitations from the Greek uh, philosophers, some of the, like, uh, Epictetus. Like, nobody reads Epictetus, but here he is spewing, the, spewing it out. 
And he says one thing that transformed his life was the day whenever he started asking every single day for the Holy Spirit. And he encouraged us to do the same, to each and every day to ask for the Holy Spirit. To ask for this advocate, for this teacher, for this peace, for this breath. And so would you do that with me this week? Would you this week ask for the Holy Spirit? I know in the United Methodist Church we haven't talked about the Holy Spirit enough and we start talking about the Holy Spirit and it sounds really strange and it sounds really wishy-washy and I'm not sure if I want to connect on that spiritual level yet and that's okay. Barry Black said, it's okay. But just ask and see how your life begins to transform. He said, whenever he talked about this, he wasn't that whenever he began asking that his life began to look dramatically different. Because whenever we ask in the name of the Lord, we receive. So can we do that this week? Let the Holy Spirit into our lives to be our advocate, our teacher, our peace, our very breath that sustains us. I think that if we begin to let the Holy Spirit move in our lives, we might begin to see a whole new Pentecost come, a day in which the Holy Spirit enlivens the church once more, and thousands being added unto our numbers each and every day can only be the result. So let us this week ask for the Holy Spirit, and let us pray together.